We are continuing upon the chronological life of Jesus, and we are reading today in Mark chapter 5. And let me remind you that we had read last time Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through, through, uh, um, through 32, where what had happened originally, well, I'll, just let me read verse 21 to give us some context. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And, his, and, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So remember, here is a man that his only daughter is at the point of death. This is a man who was a leader in the synagogue, and now his only daughter is at the point of death. And so you can imagine what is going through this man's heart. This is not just some perfunctory time, some simple little thing. This is a deep, hard time in this man's life. And then Jesus gets waylaid because there's this woman with this issue of blood, and she comes and she touches his garment, and she gets healed. But even watching that was a testimony of faith for Jairus to even build his faith. And remember Jairus said, come to my house. Come to my house and touch my daughter that she may be healed. And then Jesus, the final word that we had talked about last time that he had spoken to the woman with the issue of blood was in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 5. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And so remember, here's a woman who for 12 years who was an outcast, totally separated from society, Jesus calls her the most affectionate thing that he can call her, daughter. And he identifies with her. Right after he says this, then we pick up this portion. Look in uh, verse 35 of of Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So here, Jesus is still speaking this word to this woman, saying, Daughter, be healed. Be, that, that you're healed of your, your affliction. Be healed of your affliction. Go in peace. In the other gospel, remember, he says, Be of good cheer, my daughter. While he's still speaking these words, some come from the ruler's home and say, Your daughter's just died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. So Jesus is involved in one conversation. It says, while he's still speaking, Jairus is standing over here and somebody's bringing him this word. So imagine what happens when a parent hears that their child has just died. This is not, oh, you know, lots of kids are born, lots of kids die. No, just your knees buckle. You can't even catch your breath. My child has has died. I mean, this is such a shock to a life. You know, some of you are pre-med and pre-meds, and one of the things that they're going to teach you, some of you are are medical students, so one of the things they're going to teach you is how you say things to people. You don't just walk and say, oh, your your husband, he, he died a little while ago. You don't do this. There's a way that you begin to share. There's a way that you share bad news. You don't say, oh, well, you know, you're going to only live three months. 
I mean, they teach you how to share these things. And so somebody comes from his home, not trained how to share with them, with him, and said, your daughter just died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? I mean, don't bother him. He's a busy guy. He's got people thronging him. He doesn't have to come to your house anymore. And Jairus is just shocked. Just shocked. My daughter. It says, it says that this is actually his only daughter. Remember, it says that this is his only daughter and she's 12 years old. And it says in the New American Standard that Jesus overhears this servant say this to Jairus. And so look at the way Jesus, what Jesus does. It says in verse 36, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. So, the servant wasn't even speaking to Jesus. He was speaking to Jairus. Jesus overhears and says, sees that this man about to fall over. I mean, you can't share with somebody your only daughter has just died without them just about collapsing. But remember, there's all these throngs of people. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Do not be afraid. Only believe. This is a constant word of Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Remember these words when crisis comes. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is what comes. I just spoke with a woman this week that her husband passed away just this week. And as soon as I heard, I called her. And I had just been meditating on this passage and I said, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid. My Lord will see you through. This woman's husband, who was a good friend of mine and my pastor for many years when I was in college, and the man who discipled me, you know, he just poured out his life and lived for the Lord. He was on the ministry circuit at the age of 78, preaching, and he caught something, went into a coma, and just never came out of it. What better way to go <laughs> in ministry than preaching? A life poured out. And I told her, do not be afraid. I could share with her these words of Jesus. He said, well, what did that do for her? It did a lot. The words of Jesus do a lot. You learn to speak the words of Jesus into the lives of others who are struggling. And this will lift them up more than any of the words that you can come up with. You speak the words of Scripture to them. Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. As soon as he hears, oh, do not trouble the Master any longer. I mean, Jesus is like, it is no trouble. This is what I do. Service is what I do. Service is my middle name. People will say, you know, why bother God with this? You know, he has plagues and famines and wars to worry about. But God is interested in this. This is what he's interested in. He cares about what is impacting my life. My God cares about me. That I know. Things that concern me, he cares about. So when I'm, it's, it's in the morning in my normal quiet time, and I'm all flustered because I've got a million things to do that day, and only a very small number of hours to do it in. 
And I'm all flustered, so much so I can hardly even read the Bible. I say, God, help me. Help me this day that I can get through this day and accomplish what is before me without having to run around like a chicken with my head cut off. This is the way I talk to my Lord. And go figure. God answers prayer. You know, I come out of this time and I'm calm and boom, I just tackled the day. God answers. He will do this for you if you realize that Jesus says, I'm coming. You know, people would say, don't trouble me. It's no trouble at all. Service is my middle name. Jesus came. It says, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is why He came. And so He goes ahead with Jairus. Verse 37, And He permitted no one to follow Him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And He came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and He saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And He came in and He said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And he said that something should be given her to eat. So he goes with Jairus to Jairus' house. And he only takes Peter, James, and John, his inner circle of guys. These were the, the guys that ultimately see the transfiguration. These were his inner circle. Why, I don't know. Why he only took those and not the, other, the, the, the others of the twelve. Um, so why he only did this and, and, and uh, um, left the other nine out with the crowds, I'm not sure. But he only took them in. And he brought the mother and the father in. And he goes in and he sees, first of all, he sees all this commotion in this house. <clears throat> um, it says that, that the people, there was this great tumult, and they were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, <clears throat> Why make all this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. So the child is not dead, but sleeping. Remember the word sleeping in the New Testament is only for believers that know the Lord. This 12-year-old very much knew the Lord. He used this. When people died, remember he said of Lazarus, Lazarus isn't dead, he's asleep. And they said, ah, he's dead. They've already put him in the grave. He's dead. And Jesus uses the word sleeping for a believer. Here's a 12-year-old who her father is leader of the synagogue and she is sleeping, Jesus said. And so that, that's, that's what was going on. So he speaks of her only as sleeping. So he speaks, with her on, uh, speaks of her only as sleeping and he sees all this wailing and all this commotion and he comes in and he's a man of peace. He says, what, why all of this? Jesus will move into your home as a man of peace. When there is weeping, when there is wailing, when there is hardship, when there is turmoil in your life, Jesus moves in as a man of peace. And he says, why all this weeping? Why all this wailing? Don't you know that I can resolve this? 
don't you know that I can resolve this? Jesus is amazing the way he can enter into a life when there is turmoil. If you will but let him in, he will minister to you. That he will do. But so few of us want to let him in. We just want to weep and wail like the world does. And if we let him into our lives, he will begin to change things. Then he goes into the room. He takes the little girl by the hand. He puts everybody out except the mother and the father. <clears throat> Peter, James, and John, he brings in with, them, with him. He says to her, little girl, I say to you, arise in Aramaic. And it says that immediately, it says immediately the girl arose and walked. <clears throat> so immediately, boom, she was healed. We saw another case where there wasn't an immediate healing. God has shown us now both ways. That in this new mystery kingdom, sometimes people are going to heal, be healed immediately. Sometimes they're not healed immediately. This is the way we minister. This is what we're going to see. <clears throat> this is part of the healing process. She is healed immediately. And she right away stands. And it, and it says that immediately she arose and walked. For she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. <clears throat> so that, that, that does not mean that the mother and father went, Whoa! No, they were overcome. They were like... Probably Peter, James, and John are just catching them. You know, they have to sit down. I mean, how do you deal with this? That your daughter is dead, and before your eyes, she's alive. They are overcome with amazement. They weren't just amazed, they were overcome with amazement. This is what they see. And then Jesus says a very interesting thing. He says, he commands, he, he says that, um, that she has to be given something to eat. He says, he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and he said that something should be given her to eat. It's a very strange thing. You know, in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 8, it reports the same sort of thing, and it says, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. That's in, in Luke chapter 8, verse, um, verse 55. So the same thing. He commands her to be given something. To, he commands them, give her something to eat. Why? He's healed lots of people before. All of a sudden, you know, this little girl happens to be hungry. Why would he do this? Remember, he raised the dead man and... and the man who was in a coffin in Nain, the young man and the, the widow mother is weeping that her only son has now died and he touches the coffin and the dead man comes to life. He doesn't say, give him something to eat. We are in the mystery kingdom now. This is the time of instruction. So this is after the, the unpardonable sin. He is teaching now his disciples how to minister. So very often mixed in with healing for us is physical care saying, give her something to eat. She just died. That, that man in Nain had been obviously dead for some time and that he's already in the coffin and in a funeral procession. He doesn't say, give him something to eat. He's teaching us that something... You know, there's times where you need some physical touch that goes along with the prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. He says, give her something to eat. This is all instruction for us. Jesus breaks into a life and He does something. We don't always experience healing. Wherever Jesus was, 
these healings were coming. But we don't always experience like this. See, in, in, now, now the next thing that happens in, you, you know, so this is the next in the sequence. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 27. This is the next event as he, as, as he follows across. In this, this is in chronological order we're following. Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he came into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. So, there are these two men that are following. Remember, there were all these crowds, and there's these two blind men following, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. But he doesn't do anything. No response. Remember, after the unpardonable sin, the recognition that he is Messiah doesn't stop him to minister. He only ministers now, he only does healing based on two things. One is for instruction to the disciples, and the other is out of personal need, if an individual need. But already, his messiahship has been rejected by Israel. He just keeps on walking. David, he, he, said, they, they, he said to him, they said of him, Son of David, have mercy on us. This is a testimony of being Messiah. Messiah would be the Son of David, was his name. But Jesus doesn't even respond to it. But then he comes into the house, and obviously these men follow him into a house. So now there's no longer this crowd situation. And then Jesus says to them, in verse 28, When he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Able to do what? There's obviously some passage here that we're missing. They obviously said, Touch our eyes. Make us better. And Jesus then responds, do you, am, do you believe that I'm able to do this? There's a what that Jesus is referring to. When they come with a personal need, heal my eyes. When they're just saying, Jesus, son of David, no response. No response. But when they say to him, heal our eyes, he says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Now he does healings but it has to be based on faith. People come to him for healing, and it has to be based on faith. And so when they ask for his eyes, you know, we can get like this sometimes. We can get in our time with the Lord and just go talking and all these things, but never ask him for anything. He's like, uh, what do you want? Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. What is it you want? Then he says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes, we believe. And he says, he touched their eyes. We'll see other occasions where he didn't touch their eyes. He can just speak a word, they can be healed. Sometimes he, he makes mud and he puts it on their eyes. I mean, there's all these different ways. So if you think that you've got the way figured out. I was just with somebody the other night and they said, Jesus taught his disciples that you lay hands on the sick. And when you do that, they're healed. I said, yeah, Jesus taught that sometimes. Sometimes he didn't lay his hands on the sick. You know, he had different ways. So if you think you've got it figured out, or if you think that that group doesn't do it right because our group does it differently, remember, Jesus got, has got this broad array of ways that he, he performed acts of, uh, miracles, that he performed gifts of healings. He has different ways to do this. 
He's not locked up into this thing, nor are we locked up into this. And it's not that our little group has the way. Our little group doesn't have the way. There is no specific way. Our group doesn't have it. And then he touches their eyes. He says, according to your faith. And then it says, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows of it, but they... When they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Jesus warned them, and he didn't just say, oh, don't tell anybody. It says he sternly warned them, don't tell anybody. Remember, now he's in the time of the ministry of silence. There's no longer the proclamation of his Messiahship. Ever since the the, the unpardonable sin, boom, the whole ministry changed. Before that, he would tell people, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. After the, the unpardonable sin... The whole thing changed. He only spoke in parables, except to his twelve, then he'd make it clear to them, but to the masses he only spoke in parables. And the ministry of silence. He wasn't speaking and he told them not to speak. Again and again he tells them not to speak. The only person who he said, go and tell your friends, was a Gentile, the, uh, the Gadarean demoniac. To the Gentiles, they were not under this curse that, that had come because of the unpardonable sin. He sternly warns them, don't say it. But what's interesting is, they went out and said it anyway. Now, you would think that they should go blind again, because they said it. That's not that odd to think about. He told, Lot's, he told Lot and his wife, don't look back when you're leaving Sodom. Lot's wife looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. He told the prophet, don't eat anything here, don't have anything, just go prophesy and get, down, get on back out of there. And the prophet stopped and had a meal with a guy, and boom, a lion came and, and killed the prophet. So it is not unlike the God of the Old Testament to deal with people quite harshly who didn't fulfill what they were instructed to do. But the scriptures say that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth were recognized and came through Jesus Christ. You see this act of mercy. They didn't lose their eyesight for disobeying Him. Okay, so now let's read this next portion. In Mark chapter 6, reading from verse, verse uh, Mark chapter 6, reading from verse 1. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jesus is moving there from the Galilee, and so he's continuing on east, and he goes, now this is his last visit to Nazareth, his hometown. Then when he went out from there, he came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? So this is in Mark chapter 6, and and, uh, reading in verse 2. And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. So they were offended with him. You know, it's really an interesting passage. You know, Matthew records almost the identi- identical thing. But in other words, but other than just saying, it doesn't say, is this not that, the, the carpenter, the son of Mary? It says, is this not the carpenter's son? So from this, these two different passages, we learn that his father Joseph was a carpenter. And Jesus followed in his footsteps and was an apprentice to his father and had been a town carpenter alongside his father. We learn that Jesus had four half-brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And he also had some unnamed number of sisters. All we know is it's plural, so two or more sisters. 
And it says they were offended at him. They were offended at him in in chapter 6, verse 3. They were offended at him because they knew him to be a carpenter and they thought, how could any man who's a carpenter get wisdom like this? You know, our public schools in Nazareth are not that good. How can he have all of this wisdom? You know, they're amazed, they're astonished. They were, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? You know, in Matthew chapter 13 is recorded the same event. And the same sort of thing, Matthew 13, 53, it says, Now when it came to pass, Jesus had finished these parables. He departed from there. He went and he came to his own country and he taught them in the synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? And again, in verse 57, they were offended with him. They were offended with Jesus. And that's when he he gives that that common line that that a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. There was this town where they were greatly offended by him. They were greatly offended by, by this sort of teaching. And if you read down, let's turn back to Mark. In Mark chapter chapter 6, it says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives. Now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And they went about the villages, and, and he went about in the villages in a circuit teaching. It says that he could do nothing but a few simple healings because of their unbelief. And you say, come on, Jesus could do whatever He wants. Because He could do nothing except a few simple healings. Which, for any common man, would have been plenty. Even just one. But Jesus could only do a few simple healings because of their unbelief. But Because now, belief is what somebody needs. But where did Jesus get this wisdom? So I want to close with this. Turn to Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50 in the Old Testament. There's there's things we learn about the Messiah that are never revealed in the New Testament that we only glean from the Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Read the life. We're going to read what Jesus was like. Where did Jesus get this wisdom? Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient nor did I turn back. This is where Jesus got the wisdom. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear. He received these things in His morning time with His Father. You will receive these things to the extent that you give yourself in prayer and meditation in the Word of God. This morning, my, my, son, my, my youngest son got up and uh, he came into my room. He said, um, he said, Josiah's been up for a half hour. I've been up for five minutes and I'm just as dressed and ready as he is. I said to him, Ben, I have lived with many guys in my life. I've had many roommates. And every roommate that I ever had that would just pop up out of bed and be ready in a couple of minutes and go about their day, they never accomplished much in life. 
But the ones who woke up early and gave time to the Lord and settled their hearts accomplished far more in their lives. I said, learn from that, my son. And I really mean that. You pop up out of bed and go about your day. You think, wow, I really maximized my time. No, you minimized it. You get up and you spend time with the Lord. You spend time with the Lord and He will bless your day. And He will speak to you like He spoke to Jesus. He awakens me morning by morning. And when I go to bed at night, I say, Father, wake me in the morning to listen. Give me, give me ears to listen as a disciple. And then it says, He will give you the tongue of disciples. You will be encouraging people. And I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. You will start obeying the Word of God when you have time with Him. It is up to you. You can do this. You can roll out of bed and get about your, go about your day and be just like anybody else and compete with the world. Or you can get up early and spend time with God and learn what it is to walk as a disciple. To learn as Jesus did. So much so that people were offended. They grew up with Him and they were offended by Him. You know, sometimes my colleagues get offended by me. You know, who, who are you to, to do that, that service like that? When my colleague, Rick Smalley, the Nobel Prize winner, died, Rick's Smalley and his wife had asked me to speak at his funeral. And so, you know, I did his funeral. I was asked to do this. My colleagues were upset with me. Oh, you made that whole service into a Christian service. How could you do that? They were all offended at me. You know, I'm not a preacher. Who am I to do this? And then when Mrs. Smalley found out, she wrote a letter to my whole department and said, this was not Jim. Rick wanted Jim. Rick wanted him to do this. But they were offended at me. Which, I'm used to that. The world will be offended at you. But you serve the Lord. If you do this, your life will be best, blessed. If you roll out of bed and hit your day, you will compete with the rest of the world and you will lose. You learn to wake up and you spend time with the Lord. This is how Jesus got His wisdom. This is how He learned. And this is what amazed the people in Nazareth. How did He get this? By rising morning by morning and having an ear that listened and God spoke to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray your blessing to be upon these young people, that they would do like Jesus did and set their minds to listen as disciples and then have the tongue of a disciple to be able to, to, to strengthen the weary ones with the word. Father, I pray that they would learn from this and take it to heart because I know that there is good here for them. Father, please do this in their lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.